Would you let me do my very best for a moment? I, I, I felt an, just a shift, and I'm going to change a few things up. So you're going to have to let me get my notes kind of as I go. We've been talking about the pillars of God or the pillars of, of, of apostolic faith and, and, and making sure we get our foundations right. And I, I was going to do this next, or well, not next week, that next week's use week, but the week after that I was going to do this. But I just feel like today it is. And so I don't have my graphic up, at least not that I know of, unless they were able to quickly get it. But I want to talk to you a little bit about worship. It's one of the most crucial foundations after you know who God is. Because you better, you, you better make sure you worship the one true living God. Don't, don't, don't waste your worship on anyone else. So let's start with who God is. That's the first part of the pillars of, of, of our faith. And then after that, you might as well make sure that you know what salvation is. It's so key, so vital to who, what, what we are. And, and, and it'd be pointless for you to worship a God if you've not accepted his salvation. And then, you, 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 uh, you, what, what was the next one I did? Uh, um, Help me out. What was last week? Eternity. Thank you. Then you might as well get eternity, right? Because what good would it do for you to spend your life here worshiping but not spend your eternity worshiping? But let's worship. I'm going to have to pull a few things from here and there and yonder. So I don't know if it's going to be the most sophisticated sermon you've ever heard, but there's something about it. I watched from the beginning of this service all the way to now. I watched the lighthouse begin to lift their hands, and you begin to lift your voice, and you begin to worship him. And when you do, something happens for Psalms. Chapter 22 says you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In the King James, it would say something like this, that God inhabits the praises of of Israel, There is something that takes place when the people of the living God begin to lift their hands and they begin to lift their voice and they begin to worship. And I want to tell you why. Somebody for just a moment, would you exalt the name of Jesus? Would you worship the name of Jesus right now? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God is good. Mm. You may be seated. We've read in Isaiah, we've read in Revelation, and you've seen two different authors attempt to do it even though they are inspired by God writing the words of God. It's very hard to, to describe the glory of God. How do you put into writing? How do you use the English language with its limitations? How do you describe it? You could sing all the songs you want to sing. You could read all the poems that have ever been penned. You could read and preach every sermon perhaps that's ever been transcribed, but you cannot come close close to seeing the glory of the almighty God regardless of what you read it, it, it still doesn't do it justice how do you describe how great God is the one that has saved you, the one that has raised you, the one that has healed you, the one that's delivered you, the one that set you free, the one that pulled you out of the miry clay and set your feet on a rock to stay, the one that delivered your family, the one that brought you here this morning. I cannot, it is so hard to give him the fullness of the praise he deserves. I, I see it in the Bible and I, I know we say the angels don't have a choice to worship him but it doesn't seem to play out and I've been guilty of saying that but in reality we find the angels do have a choice to worship 
We don't preach a lot about angels. I don't preach a lot about angels. I think that when you start doing a doctrine of angels, you, you kind of turn that into idolatry and you start worshiping the angel more than the God. The angel is simply the messengers of God. The angels are simply those that are around the throne. They have not the power that, that you need. I know people talk about guardian angels, and, and, and that's good. My guardian angel's a really thin angel because he's been smashed between me and other cars quite a bit, you know, so he's a real thin angel, but... Uh, those angels don't have any power. If you've ever been saved, it's not your angel that saved you. It's God Almighty that saved you. And there's angels mentioned throughout the Bible, but seldom do we delve into the personal effects of them. And, and, and it's been a few years since I pulled some of what I'm going to say behind this pulpit today. We know about Gabriel, the messenger. We know about Michael, the warrior angel. But then there's one other angel that we talk about. We just don't usually like to preach about him. You've heard of the cherubims, you've heard of the seraphims, you've heard of the mighty angel. But the one angel that's described more in God's word is the one whose name is Lucifer. Ezekiel chapter 28 puts it like this. But thou, and we're talking about Lucifer, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone was your covering. The sardis and the topaz and the diamond and the barrel and the onyx and the jasper and the sapphire and the emerald and the carbuncle and the gold. The workmanships of thy tabrets and of thy pipes were prepared in thee. In the day that you were created, you are the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. You were on the holy mountain of God and you walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire and you were perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created. It, it, it tells us that of all the angels, this one would have been the most beautiful. If you'll read Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, a picture begins to unfurl of this one called Lucifer. The clearest description of this angelic being starts with the phrase, O Lucifer, son of the morning. It describes the brightness of this angel. He was called the morning star in reference to that bright star that's seen each and every morning even when the sun begins to peek over the horizon. He existed in the garden of God. He existed in what we would call the heavenlies. I don't know exactly all that it was, but it was God's domain. Ezekiel 28 says there were nine stones that made up his covering and they were fastened together with gold. It goes on to describe how incredibly detailed and how the bezels of gold that held the jewels in, fate, in place, how that the, the, uh, somehow adorning the visage or figure of Lucifer were intricate tabarets or tambourines that, that were there every step that Lucifer took would have made a beautiful sound. He was a cherub. Cherub guarded paradise. Cherubs attended to Jehovah. In Ezekiel 28, you get a glimpse into that holy place. For day in and day out, Lucifer would attend to Jehovah when he stood there in the presence of God himself in all of the splendor of God and the beauty of God. Revelation tells us when we get to heaven, there'll be no light needed because God is that light and God doesn't change. So in the beginning, God was that light. And so Lucifer would stand there in the presence of God Almighty and the light of Jehovah would reflect a thousand times over across the, the, the figure of Lucifer and all of those nine 
stones and those bezels of gold would have sparkled. He would stand there in the presence of illumination. He would stand there in the presence of power and Lucifer would shine in the glory of God. He would walk among those stones of fire. Every step jingled. It would not have been the discordant jangling of some random noise, but I believe somehow he would have walked and every step that he walked was a form of worship to his creator, to almighty God. I wish I could have seen that picture. It was amazing to read, read in Ezekiel and see how the throne of God uh, is held up by those cherubims. Read and see how awesome the presence of God is. Fire and lightning and thunder and smoke and, and, and uh, light that shines out. The problem was Lucifer wasn't content there. Isaiah 14 says it this way, For thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you have been cut down to the ground, and you did weaken the nations. And you said in thine heart, I will ascend to the heavens, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. He said, I will ascend beyond the heights of the crowd, clouds, and I will be like the Most High. Yet in reality, Lucifer, that's what you said. But the reality is you've been brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Those are going to see you. They'll, they'll cut their eyes at you. They'll look at you with disdain. And they will say, is this the one that made earth to tremble, that did shake the kingdoms? Is this the one that, that made the earth a wilderness and destroyed the cities and opened not the house of his prisoner? Is this the one that scared us half to death, but now you're cast into your grave like an abominable branch, like a remnant of those who are slain and thrust through with a sword? You went down into the stones of the pit for Lucifer's demise was this he got tired of reflecting the glory of God and he wanted to be God himself he became tired of worshiping the creator and he desired to create himself and so he withdrew from the throne room of Jehovah and conspired in the shadows with a third of the angelic beings and in the darkness of corners and in the shadows of deceit and in pride that was there. They conspired against God, his ego, his pride, his self-exaltation grew until sin took a hold. They marched against the throne of God and God threw them out as fast as they stepped in. Mighty was the fall of Lucifer. From the mountain of God, from the heavens of the heaven, Lucifer fell plummeting down to the earth. From the heights of heaven to the depths of the earth, Lucifer was laid low. And Jehovah grieved because the one that worshipped him was gone. There was a void there in heaven. Worship was missing. And although there were other angels that worshiped, I'm convinced that there was a void missing. No longer was the steps around the throne that jingled the way that Lucifer was. It wasn't the same. In fact, I, I've, I've talked a little bit. I've done some study, and, and maybe I'm, I'm taking it a bit out of context. But nowhere in the Bible can I find that there were any other songs sung in heaven after Lucifer. Even what we talk about, the great angel choir, when Jesus was born, if you read your Bible, it doesn't say they sang, it said they said. Somewhere, something was missing. And so God created man in his own image. 
allow me to skip over generations for the time's sake. Let me tell you about the one Jehovah God himself was looking for a place, looking for a replacement, looking for someone that would worship him in spirit and in truth. He longed for that same measure of worship that he had from Lucifer and so he ordained the priest. Would you watch with me? Would you walk with me for a moment? Exodus chapter 28. He told Moses, he said, when you get those priests ready, I want you to make for them a chess piece. And, and I want you to embroider it with gold and purple and, and scarlet thread. And that chess piece, I want you to put four rows of gemstones in it. The first row, carnelian and peridot and emerald. The next row is going to have turquoise and lapis lazuli and a moonstone. The third row will have jacinth and agate and amethyst. The fourth roll of blue and green barrel and onyx and jasper. And I want all of those 12 stones to be wrapped in gold. It was a covering. Those priests were to wear a covering of gemstones and gold. But this time, God said, I'm going to give more to those created in my image than even Lucifer had. Lucifer had nine stones, but the priests had 12. It was a third more gems to reflect the glory of God. It was a simple way to remind Lucifer you had failed and a third of the angels fell with you. He said, I want you to make them a robe, those priests. Make an ephod with blue cloth and and, and make pomegranates out of blue and purple and scarlet yarn and attach them to the hem of the robe and put gold bells at the bottom of the roll all around. And whenever Aaron ministers before the Lord, this is Exodus chapter 28 and 31, whenever Aaron ministers before the Lord, he will wear this robe and the bells will tinkle as he goes in and out of the presence of the Lord. And if he wears it, he will not die. When Moses stepped into the presence of God, every step he took had a a musical sound. There was a melody and it reminded God of what he had around the throne. He said then... Inside that darkened tabernacle, make a lampstand of pure hammered gold. Make it there and put light there. That way there's only one light in that tabernacle. And it was those priests' duties. Every morning, every afternoon, day and night, they ministered to Jehovah. They offered incense. They offered sacrifices. They attended to Jehovah. And they bore the ark. They carried the ark, God's dwelling place, on their shoulders from time to time they protected the glory of God much like the angels job would have been but Jehovah longed for something that was not just circumstance or or not just uh, 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 going through the motions not just a, a ceremony but he longed for a presence that would worship fully as great as the tabernacle plan was it could not take the place of what was missing in heaven the tabernacle plan had worship but it lacked the spontaneity that was there in heaven. It lacked the spontaneity that Jehovah was used to. He desired more than just ritual sacrifices. He desired more than just ritual uh, worship. And so deity became humanity. Deity became flesh. And he dwelt among a fallen people. And that spotless lamb bore the sins of countless generations to an old rugged cross. And an unblemished sacrifice was nailed to that cross. And blood was spilled. And finally one Once and for all, Jehovah found his worshiper. It was a common people who had nothing that was 
great in amongst themselves. One was a tax collector. Some were dirty old fishermen. Others were those whose life didn't have any redeeming qualities. But there was a common people, about 120, who gathered there in an upper room and the Holy Spirit fell and it resided in the hearts of man. And now Jehovah said, my, my, my domain is not just heaven alone. My domain is not behind a curtain in a temple somewhere. But now I'm gonna dwell in the hearts of men and their bodies will become the tabernacle of the Lord. Lord. So it was that God put his glory in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17 says it this way. Now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty but we with open face beholding in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even by the spirit of God. Let me tell you Brandon Buford's uh, 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 way to, to describe that you are reflecting the glory of God not I but Christ in me the hope of glory it's Colossians 1 to whom God would make known unto you what is the riches of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you the hope of glory so God looks at you and I and he says will you be the one that replaces the void in heaven. Will you be the one that replaces what Lucifer used to do? Will you be the one that replaces, let me help you out, Isaiah 61 and 10 said that I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God for you have clothed me with garments of salvation. You've covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. He's trying to tell you he's put something inside of you that reflects the glory of God greater than any angel in heaven, greater than any priest that walks in the tabernacle. He said, I will appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. I will give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Revelation 19 said of the saints of God that they are arrayed in fine linen and clothed in that clean and white, which is the righteousness of the saints. The same privilege that Lucifer had to bear the presence and protect the presence of God. You and I have that same ability. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to God. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father by him. Everything you do in word or deed. Look at your neighbor and say everything. When you wake up in the morning, it's for his glory. When you go through your day, it's for his glory. When you lay your head on your pillow at night, it's for your glory. When you begin to sleep at night, it's still for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3 and 23 says, whatever you do, do it unto the Lord and not to men. Philippians 1.11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and the praise of God. It's his glory. It's his 
glory. I could preach to you today. I've got sermons. I've got notes. I've got notes in my Bible. I could show you every place in the Bible that says to clap your hands, all you people. I could show you every verse in the Bible that says shout unto God. I could show you every verse in the Bible that says to dance and to spin and to run and to lift up your voice and to pray and to cry. I could show you how to worship, but I don't know that you need to know the, the, the how to clap your hands and how to dance, but rather I would like to instill in you the why of worship, the why I worship is because he is the king of kings and the lord of lords the why I worship is because there's a void in heaven that he longs to fill with you and I and when we come into his presence we lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting and we give him praise because <laughs> one day I sure hope one day you and I are going to stand around the throne and there'll be angels around the throne and there'll be elders around the throne but what I'm looking for is you and I around the throne and nations upon nations and many tongues and many races and many languages but in one mind, in one voice we're going to lift up our hands and we're going to worship him and on that day it comes full circle the void in heaven will be filled by worshipers from earth if Satan fell from heaven and landed in earth and ultimately ends his demise for eternity in hell, then you and I need to understand this. We were born on earth, but we were born again of the Spirit. And one day that trumpet's going to sound and this old boy's going to leave this earth and I'm going to plant my feet on golden streets and I'm going to take the place of Lucifer and I'm going to lift my voice and every step I make is going to worship him. Lucifer is beside himself with jealousy. If I could, I would tell you today that he longs to be back in the presence of Jehovah. He longs to get back to the place that he used to be. He won't admit it. He won't tell it to you. But he would give anything to attend to Jehovah again. He would give anything to get back to that place. But he can't. And this is the issue. He doesn't understand how can fallen humanity take his place. God, I don't get it. I know I conspired against you a third of the angels. I know I, I, I wanted to be like you and, and you kicked me out and I plummeted here. But have you taken a look lately at these people you call humans? Have you taken a look at those that, that you created and you breathed your life into them and Lord, you even gave your life for them? Have you paid attention to them lately? They lie, they cuss, they cheat, they curse, they get mad at you, they run away, they walk away. They're as fickle as fickle can be and yet you still keep giving them a chance. I don't get it, God. Where's my second chance? Where's my ability? I can't get over the fact that you would allow these broken, nasty, sinner, worm people to worship you. And so Satan, because he can't get to heaven, he connives. He manipulates. He tries to steer you and I on that same road that he traveled. Oh, if he could just get you 
to quit worshiping the creator, if he could just get you to start fixating on your own selfish desires and arrogant plans, if he could just get your eyes off the creator for a moment, maybe instead of you going to heaven and taking his place, maybe misery loves company and if he can't can't get back to heaven, he'll at least do his very best to bring you to hell with him and there you can spend eternity cussing and cursing at God and saying what might have been and so he says, what can I do? What can I change? What can I be? What can I, can I, I mess around with? And sometimes he succeeds. Sometimes he gets you on that path. And it's not that God kicks you out, but you leave him. Isaiah 24 said this. The mirth of my tabrets or the sound of my tambourine has ceased. The noise of them that rejoiceth has ended and the joy of the harp has ceased. And it goes on and and it's a prophetic place but I think it fits today. They can't drink wine with the song. The strong drink is bitter to them that drink it. The city of confusion is broken down. Every house is shut up. No man comes in. There's a crying on the street. All the joy is darkened. The mirth of the land is gone. The city that is left in desolation and the gate is smitten with destruction. And sometimes people says this, my life has lost its worship. Oh, I'm so thankful that I, I came to church and, you know, I, I, I watch. Thank you, Brother Joey, for coming up and worshiping. Thank you, young men. And some of them are now down in youth class. Thank you for worshiping. Thank you for those that lifted. And, and man, it feels good to come to church and see your worship. But you don't understand, Pastor, the joy is gone. It's just hard for me to lift my hands. I, I enjoy being with others that do it, but I can't. My life has lost its song. My life has lost its worship. My life has lost its joy. But oh, there's another prophecy. Jeremiah chapter 31. He said, at that same time, saith the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. And thus saith the Lord, the people that were left of the sword has found grace in the wilderness. Even Israel, when I caused him to rest, the Lord appeared unto old unto me, saying, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with a loving kindness have I drawn thee, and I will again build thee, and thou shalt be built. And once again, you will be adorned with the tabrets, and once again, you'll go forth in the dances of him that make you merry. Could I talk to somebody for just a moment? You need to get your joy back. You need to understand God's not done with you yet. That I know you've had some bad times and you've had some down times and you had some abilities in your life that are gone and you wonder am I ever going to lift my hands again but oh you're in the presence of almighty God and he says I love you with a loving kindness. I love you more than life itself and once again I'll adorn you with tabrets once again you can go forth in the praises you can get your joy There's a three-step program on how you can go back to being the greatest worshiper of God. I don't know who's ending. One of y'all can, y'all changed uh, piano players midstream, so I no, don't know who to point to. Here's a three-point plan 
to becoming the greatest worshiper that God has ever desired. Number one, what is the view, what is your view of God? Isaiah said in the year that King Uzziah died, I know I've already read it, but let me read it again. The year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up on a throne. I saw his train filling the temple. I saw the seraphims, each one had six wings. And they cried, what's your view of God? If your view of God is one that doesn't see him in his glory, you need to change a few things. You need to be able to get back to the place where you come, you lift up your eyes to heaven, and you see the glory of God. You need an Isaiah experience. Be in his glory and let the doors shake with his presence. The second is not, not just how you view God, but how do you view yourself? Isaiah said, woe is me for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Mine eyes have seen the king. I must decrease. He must increase. Isaiah said, I know I'm a prophet of God. I know I've been, I've been preaching the gospel, but I don't deserve to be in your presence. I mean, Isaiah is probably one of the most righteous people in that time frame. He could have said, ah, it's Sunday. I deserve to be in the presence of God. Look at me. But he said, oh, no, no, no. Woe is me. For I am undone, for mine eyes have seen the glory of the King. You're never going to see God as, who he, in, in, as he is until you get a good view of who you are. Without him, I'm nothing. Without him, I'm nothing. And so I see God in all of his glory. I see me in all of my humility. And the third thing is, how do you see the adversary? I've already quoted it, but Isaiah 14 said, You've been thrown from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. And everyone there will stare and ask, Is this the one that scared us? Is this the one that created all the havoc in the world? Quit seeing the devil and his imps. I know they have some power. The Bible tells about it. But quit letting him walk all over you because his future has already been stamped. That Lucifer, that once bright morning star, now only looks forward to a life of darkness. The once sparkling attendant of Jehovah who radiated with untold glory from reflecting the presence of God's now counts the days until his final resting place. A place of utter darkness where diamond and carbuncles and emeralds and all of those don't even have a chance to shine. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1 says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven with a key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand and he seized the dragon, that old serpent who's the devil, he's Satan and he bound him in chains for a thousand years and he threw him into the bottomless pit and he shut it and he locked it so that Satan couldn't deceive the nations anymore for a thousand years 
Matthew 8, 12 says, The children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's repeated several times in Jesus' words. It's a place of darkness. A place where glory doesn't shine. A place where it don't matter how good and how beautiful you think you are, no one's ever going to see it because there's not going to be anything to reflect it. But my future is much greater. For John said in chapter 21 of Revelation, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven, the old earth had disappeared. The sea was gone. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from around the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He'll live with them and they shall be his people. God will be with them. He'll wipe every tear from their eye. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. These things are gone forever. One of the angels grabbed hold of John and said, Come with me, let me show you the bride. And he took me in the spirit to a high great mountain and he showed me the holy spirit, Jerusalem, the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And it shone with the glory of God and it sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper clear as crystal. Twelve, or a city wall broad and high, twelve gates, twelve foundation stones in the wall. He said, here's a golden measuring stick. And he measured it. And he found that it was a square as wide as it was long. 1,400 miles long. 1,400 miles in height. 1,400 miles in width. Walls made of jasper. The city pure gold as clear as glass. Those foundation stones with 12 of those stones are there. A pearl, each gate a single pearl. The main street gold, clear as glass. I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and its lamb or its temple. city had no, moon, no need of the sun or moon for the glory of God illuminated the city and the lamb is its light. Because one day, I'm going to step there and I'm going to fill the void. Lost. Lucifer but you gotta practice here he's looking for a worshiper I could go on and on I could, I, could, I could tell you about what Jesus said to the woman at the well he said that time is coming that they're gonna worship him in spirit and in truth I believe there's two two sides to our worship first you gotta worship him in, in truth you better get this Bible right. Not your own opinion, not your own thoughts, but what does the Word of God say? This is where the truth of God lies. And if you'll worship Him in the beauty of this truth, your worship has so much more meaning. But then you worship Him in the Spirit. I, I, when you read, I, I love the fact that so many things in the Word of God describe God and it uses the term fire. Just, just look through it, fire. Is there. But you get to Exodus. The Bible says that there was that burning bush. Lately I've been stuck on this fact that it says the burning bush, it was burning yet not consumed. It defies the laws of physics because physics says a fire will burn as long as there is wood or, or fuel. And when the wood is gone, when the fire has consumed the wood, the fire dies down. Now, I know what I've just said about us fulfilling the, the void of Lucifer, and I understand that, but let me just help you out for a moment. 
the fire of God didn't need that bush. You with me? The fire of God, that bush was not supporting or sustaining that fire. But I'm pretty confident that bush was glad the fire was there. I don't know, Brother Harry, I don't know that I've ever figured out what kind of bush it was. But the fact that it says bush to me tells me it was some nondescript little scraggly scruffy bush somewhere in the wilderness that there were billions of it like it. Nobody would ever remember the bush except that the fire was there. The bush is remembered for all. Everybody knows about the burning bush of Moses. Can I just tell you today? God doesn't need you to survive. God doesn't need you to sustain him. But he sure is happy to put his fire of his spirit upon your life. And maybe for this, maybe no one will know you except for one thing. May I ever be known as a worshiper. May I ever be known as one who lifts up my hands and worships the King of Kings. One of the greatest things that you can do is stand to your feet right now and begin to lift your hands and begin to fill heaven with the praises that's missing currently. Why don't you who have been called by His bright light, why don't you that has been called by His Spirit, why don't you that has been found in His presence, would you begin to lift your hands and from the depths of your soul, would you reflect the glory of God and and would you shine to him? Would you let the glory of God be present? Would you worship him in Jesus' name?